0: Them as I see them. The empire looked and thought, and that second one said, Well, you know what? No, there are balls and strikes, and I call them as they are. And a third one I think had the best idea. He said, Hey, there are balls and strikes, but they ain't nothing till I call them. <laughs> so you might want to keep that in mind this afternoon. Don't know how it'll apply, but I think it will. Anyway, in our, last session, in our last session, we began to address the question of why do we sin? Why do we sin? We started to take a look at it, and uh, I think at first glance, a lot of us look at something like this and say, well, why do we sin? Well, because we want to. I mean, and that's stating the obvious, but you know, a lot of times it's not that obvious. You know, I've talked to people who sin that really don't want to sin, and, and they do, and so it's not as obvious as it may seem. And the answers aren't as obvious as they may seem to, because sometimes when you've got a temperament such as I do, it's kind of like, well, I'm really struggling with this. Well, if you don't like it and you're struggling with it, then just stop doing it. You know, that's pretty simplistic, right? And, and I know that it is, but on the other hand, it's kind of like, why do people say it? Because they want to. And so my answer always is, well, if you, if you don't like it, then stop doing it but it's not that simple, and it's not that obvious. And and the reason I say that is because I I heard recently of a story It kind of reminds me of things that aren't real obvious, but, you know, you think that they are. But there were two men, and they were traveling on a motorcycle, and uh, it was a a winter, winter, windy winter day. And as they were driving down the street, the one's coat kept opening up from the wind blowing it open. So he asked the driver if he'd stop for a second. He got off the motorcycle. He put his jacket on backwards. So he put his arms through it and put it on backwards. Well, about two miles up the road, they hit a a patch of ice, they slid into a tree, and the guy who was driving the motorcycle was killed instantly. And uh, the coroner later came onto the scene and ran across a rookie policeman, and uh, a rookie policeman who was there at the time of the accident. And the coroner said, well, what happened? He said, well, when I got there, the first guy was already dead. He said, by the time I got the other guy's head straightened around, he he was dead too. (laughs) So... That's sick, that's sick, yeah, that's sick, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a disgusting story, but it makes a point. And, and the point is that if it was, you know, he missed the obvious because the obvious wasn't as obvious as we obviously thought it was. Right? Right. And that's the problem. So obviously, that was the problem. He missed it. And uh, so as we go through this, we, we need to kind of do the same thing, and that is to examine the question, why do we sin?, Sometimes the obvious isn't as obvious as it appears to be, and some of us are trying to turn our heads around, and uh, it it isn't working, and in 1 John chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, turn there, if not, peek on the shoulder of somebody next to you, and we're going to go through it because in this section, John tells us six reasons why we continue to sin, six reasons why Christians continue to sin, and that's important for us because we need to understand it. Six reasons. 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 4. It says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This is a fascinating passage. I love it, and in studying it, I, just was, I was thrilled by what I found in it, and I also realized how practical it can be for those of us who continue to struggle with those obstacles in our life that keep us from growing as Christians. You know, and you know what they are. Every one of us have a different little obstacle that we stumble over, and just when we think we've cleared it, another one pops up. And as you go through it, I don't know what it may be for you, but the interesting thing is that you know, there are a lot of things in Scripture that we're told that we have the potential to struggle over. One of the things that, that is difficult for some of some of us cheat at everything that we do. We cheat in our business. We cheat playing cards. We cheat no matter what. We, I mean, that's a, a, a habit or a sin that we struggle with. Some of us lie, and we don't even know why we lie. It was interesting. I get some of my best stuff from Dear Abby, not the answers but the problems. And. Um, <laughs> You know, because the problems problems need answers. And there's some great answers in here that I'd rather listen to. But here's one that I ran across yesterday. (coughs) Well, very timely guy came through again with another illustration. But uh, it says, recently I've noticed how much I've been lying to people about little things when the lie does not in any way benefit me. For instance, if I'm asked what I've been doing, I'll lie, even though the answer is no more glamorous than the truth. Yesterday I told someone I had to stop and get gas before going home, even though I knew I was going straight home. I once heard someone say, "I once heard someone who had been abused as a child say that she had started lying about everything in order to feel that she was in control of the situation. Abby, I've never been abused, and I don't know why I lie so much. It's really been bad this past year, but the lie is always out of my mouth before I realize it. I'm sure the people I lie to know that I'm lying, so why do I feel so powerless to stop? <laughs> Interesting question, huh? Just stop doing it. Right? There's the answer that we're all looking for that just blesses us when we're struggling in the middle of something like that. See, before 1991, when I became sensitive, that would have been my answer. But this year, I'm sensitive, so I got to look for a different answer. But you know, and stop and think about it. Why? Why do some of us do that? We know people that do that. See, and, and sometimes what we like to say is, well, they must not be Christians. Why? Because they lie, or they're cheating, or they're stealing. Or, uh, you know, they struggle with sexual sin of some sort. They struggle with lust or temptation. So, you know, they, they must not be Christian because, see, when you become a Christian, you don't struggle with those things anymore. And that's nonsense. And that's not true. And that's a lie. And we need to deal with that, and that's what we're going to deal with this morning. Some of us continue to struggle with things, and uh, we need to understand what the deal is. I like what um, D.L. Moody, this, he was quoted as saying this. When I became a Christian, I made this mistake. I thought the battle was always mine, the victory already won, the crown already in my grasp. I thought the old things had passed away, that all things had become new, and that my old corrupt nature, the old life, was now gone. But I found out, after serving Christ for a few months, that conversion was only like enlisting in the army, that there was a battle at hand to be fought. I like that, because it's real, and that's where we live. And so as we go through this, we're going to see what John says are six reasons why we continue to sin. And the, and the wonderful thing about God's compassion is he just doesn't say, stop it. Do you ever notice that? You know, you don't find in Ephesians 4 where it lists a bunch of struggles that we all go through that at the end of it he just says, stop doing these things. Doesn't give you any encouragement, doesn't give you any help, shows no compassion, just says, hey, you're doing what's wrong, now stop doing it. What we need is some help in how to identify new behavioral habits and patterns that the Word of God gives us. That now we can say, if you're struggling with lying, instead of saying stop lying, hey, you know what? Then speak the truth in love. Tell the truth. As soon as you're tempted to lie, then speak truth. That's as simple as it is. So there's always a replacement for the habit or the pattern of life that the old self or the old nature represents. So as we go through this, what, what John wants us to understand are some simple reasons, and this one's the obvious. We talked a little bit about it last week, and that is that we sin because we don't submit to God's authority in our life. That's as simple as it gets. I mean, that's the base or the foundation of the problem. Then he builds on it from there. But he says this, that everyone in the, in the fourth verse of that chapter says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you had children who have you, got, you have gone through the wonderful experience of setting curfews for them? Please, let me see some hands. How many of you? Oh, this is going to be good. Now, how many of you have children? Raise those hands again. How many of you have children who you've set curfews for? There we go how many of you have children who have broke the curfew there we go oh more hands (laughs) yeah well it's one of those well i thought i told him or her, but i might not have but it doesn't matter because they're late Every one of us are struggling with that or have struggled with it if you've got children of that age, right? Or any one of us who are still younger that, God bless you, your kids aren't that old yet, um, you still remember breaking curfews. So this is applicable to everybody. Now, let's assume for a moment, what what crime has been committed here? If you set a curfew for, let's say, uh, 9 o'clock, which we do. and um, Just kidding, just kidding. Just want to see if you're awake, okay? All right, let's say it's uh, 11 o'clock. All right, let's say 12 o'clock. All right, let's say you set a curfew for 12 o'clock and he or she cruises on in at 12.30. What's the problem? What? I wouldn't know it. I'd be Oh, good. Yeah, that's how my folks were. It was great. Oh, yeah, I was there. Why'd you climb through the window? Ah, you know, you never know when it'll come in handy in case you're ever stuck in a building on fire someday. Hey, uh, so what happens, uh, what's uh, violated here? You said at 12 o'clock, they come in at 12.30. What's the problem? Okay, here it is. What's the problem? Huh? What? All right, see, yeah, see, this is the problem that all parents try to get across to their children. The problem isn't you got here at 12.30. It's not measured in minutes, right? Because what they say is, it's 12.15, what's the big deal? No big deal, right? The standard that was set was twelve o'clock now the way I see it is a second after twelve o'clock they're late right now now am I unreasonable of course not we're all parents so I knew I could throw this out and get an agreement here but am I unreasonable no no and I'll tell you why because if twelve o'clock was the standard then twelve o'clock in one second violates the standard and it's not the question of the time it's the question of the rebellion that would lead somebody to not care about the standard now listen to me why this is very important because the word of god god sets standards sin is not measured in degrees by which we violate the standard the consequences are there is no such thing in god's word as far as big sins and little sins sin is sin to a perfect god and this is where we're messed up because we live in a society that tries to equate things by somehow uh, like a matrix or running degrees of difficulty. That's not true. Sin to God is sin because sin is per- God is perfect and holy and He establishes a standard. Now, 120001 may not seem like a big deal to the person violating the standard, but it is to God because any differentiation between the standard and our performance is measured not in quantity but in sin. It is sin. It is wrong. And so we need to understand, and I'm trying to get my children to understand it, no, you're missing the point. It's not measured in minutes or seconds or hours or whatever. The degree of your consequences will be measured by the degree in which you fail to meet that standard. But sin is sin. And that's where we are making some big mistakes. Because we believe in little sins and big sins. Somehow or another, we've tried to take in the degree of consequence and now read that into what the Bible says as far as sin is concerned, and that's not true. Sin is sin. Why? Because he's already told us why. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is rebellion. Sins are the symptom of a root problem, which is rebellion against the authority of God. Do you follow this? Sins are obvious. They're the symptom, What's the problem. The problem is rebellion against the authority of God. So when my child comes in at 12.15 or 12.30 or 1 o'clock or 12.05, the point that I try to make is, hey, listen, you're wrong not because you're five minutes late. You're wrong not because you're ten minutes late. You're wrong because you're late. And that's the standard that God imposes to us. See, in the same degree of reasoning that we use in that illustration is the same mistaken reasoning that we use in dealing with God but God it's not that big a deal because it's not that big a sin I only stole a pack of gum I didn't steal a car I only stole a car I didn't steal the bank see what I'm saying see what happens I only stole stationery from my office I didn't embezzle money I only told a little white lie I didn't really lie I said i was stopping what did she say i was stopping to get gas but but i really wasn't i went straight home but there's no consequence to that right wrong there are major consequences to it because like this gal says all my friends know it why do i keep doing it because the symptom is external the obvious we don't see and the obvious is simple rebellion against the authority of god in our lives And we need to understand that. So as we go through this, he says, listen, we sin because we don't submit to God's authority in our life. No different than if your child breaks the curfew. The sin isn't five minutes late. The sin is missing the mark, missing the standard. Second thing that he says is that we sin because we ignore the finished work of Christ. In verse 5 he says, but you know that Jesus appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. I want you to look at this and look at it real, real carefully because it says, but you know. See, John is speaking to Christians who have already experienced the love and the forgiveness of God. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they've already tasted the forgiveness of God. Do you follow this? He's saying it's a knowledge by experience, not a knowledge by fact. These aren't people who just read and said, oh, well, you know because you've read the Bible and the Bible says Jesus died for your sins. No, he's saying that you know because you've experienced, you've tasted the forgiveness and the grace of God already in your life, right? So here's what we need to do. As you go through this, turn with me for a moment in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is important to help us understand the point that he's trying to make because as you go into this, you need to be thinking, well, why am I sinning? Why do I keep struggling with this same area of my life? I think I've overcome it, and then it pops right back up again. It's an area that keeps on dragging me down. And, he, and he's trying to bring back to our recollection what we've already experienced and know what God can do. We've already seen it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 9. He's saying this, Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. You know, it's interesting. John says the same thing. Don't be led astray. Don't let somebody fake you out here. Don't let anybody fool you. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. He says, but such were some of you. But you were washed but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. He goes through and now explains the same thing that John's trying to get across, and is that then why are some of us still struggling with certain sin in our life? And he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. Isn't that true that when you struggle with the same sin over and over again, that the reality of it is is that sin begins to master your life? without you even knowing it. Before I know it, I'm lying, and I don't even know why I'm lying. It's out of my mouth before I even tell the truth. I don't know why. Sin has mastered that person. And that's not trying to, I'm just using that illustration because it doesn't matter whether this person is a Christian or not a Christian. There's two different answers. Obviously, for a, per, a person that's struggling with a problem, they say they're powerless to stop it. But as far as Christians, is keeping keep in the context right now, if Christians, hey, there is the answer, and that is very simply this. Don't let sin master your life. He has foods for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And he goes into now immorality and sexual sin. And he goes through and he says in verse 18, Well, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. then he says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So therefore, you've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body think about this if you've come to know christ you already know what god has freed you from as far as your past is concerned some of us and most of us probably all of us are no different than the church at corinth who he said but such were some of you maybe not all of you were adulterers nor homosexuals nor effeminate nor swindlers nor revilers and maybe not all of us are but what the point that he's making is hey some of us were And you know what God has delivered you from. It's interesting, the other night, we were were going to a movie and we were with some friends and we went into, um, we we were in dinner and for some reason, if you go to the movie, you have to get a candy bar. Um, And you don't want to pay $37 for the one at the movie and we were right next to the store. So we went into the drugstore to get a candy bar. And you know what's so funny? And I was studying this and putting this together and God was reminding me of what he's already done in my life and how I talk about struggling over certain things now still. And he said, Chuck, don't you remember what you used to be like? And we are going down to Candy Owl, and I remember growing up in Pittsburgh, we, we used to steal everything. Now, maybe that wasn't a problem for you, but for us, we stole everything. You ever dine and dash? You ever do that? Oh, we used to do that all the time. And if somebody got caught, they were on their own. And uh, not only would we dine and dash, you don't know what that is? You go in, you eat a nice big meal, one you know you can't afford because you don't have any money on you. And then you go to the bathroom one at a time and never come back. Okay, some of you, where are you people from? (laughs) And you do that, you know. And not only that, but as you're dining and dashing, you're picking tip money up along the way. So you're eating and making money. Oh, excuse me, some of you, you know, what's your problem? That's amazing to me. Oh, well, gee, I'd never do that, but, but, but I'd steal money from my company, you know what I mean? Yeah, see, that's the way it is, and we used to do that, and God reminded me of that. It was like, man, I had stashes of stuff all over my house, of things that we took, things I didn't need, but you know, you can buy it, so why not take it? And God reminded me that, just walking in to buy a candy bar, and you know what the most amazing thing to me was? I never had one desire to steal a candy bar that day. I'm glad you yeah, hallelujah, <laughs> you know what? And, and, and I'm glad God changed me too, because I didn't change. He changed me, and there's a difference. And you know, and, my, and I'm sure my wife is glad, too, because she used to be married to the same kind of a guy uh, not too long ago. And the point that he made was very simple. Chuck, <laughs> remember what I've brought you from, and I'm not done working with you yet, and the same power that I exhibited by breaking those habits in your life. I can now do it for this one little thing that you're struggling with. See how that works? That's, what he wants, that's the point that he wants to make to us. You're struggling with something, but don't forget what He's already freed you from. He said you've been bought with a price. We ignore what Jesus did for us on the cross. We forget what He brought us from. If you've tasted His grace and forgiveness, then there is nothing that you need to worry about struggling with today that He can't free you up from either. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And the reality of it is, you know why He can do it? Because it says, in Him there is no sin. Jesus Christ, the eternal God is perfect, and he qualified to do what no one else could ever do. He qualifies because he's perfect, in him there is no sin. He qualifies to not only forgive me of my sin, but since he's eternal and has eternal life, he promises to give me that life when I put my faith and trust in him. That same life that he has that's eternal and perfect and sinless, he now gives to me and you as we receive Jesus and become a child of God. That life lives within us. And now what we need to do is allow him to live through us. You see, that's the point of this passage. Don't forget where he's brought you from. That same power is available to free of what you're struggling with today. Why do we sin? Because we ignore what Jesus already did on the cross. So why it says but when in titus 3 4 through 7 it says but when the kindness and love of god our savior appeared he saved us i didn't change i didn't clean up my act he cleaned up my act for me because i couldn't do it he saved us not because of righteous things that we had done not because i tried to make myself better or because i tried to clean up my act but he cleaned me up because of his mercy see what it's saying He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Do you follow what's being said here? It's so critical as we struggle with sin in our life. We need to understand what Jesus accomplished. We already have tasted his grace. We've already been delivered from a lot of things. He just wants to deliver us from everything. And all we need to do is let him. So we go through it. But he also says that, uh, you know, it's amazing. You ever at the Battle Hymn of the Republic? It's amazing. God puts stupid thoughts in my mind. You know, I'm I'm here writing notes and and I start saying, glory, glory, hallelujah. Because it says, hey, he has died to make men holy. He has died to set men free. His truth keeps marching on. John 17, as he was praying to the Father, Jesus said, sanctify them, us, in truth, for thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. And this is what God's word says about what Jesus has done and can continue to do if we just let him. Number three, we sin because we don't abide in him. Now, this is one of those things that's really hard for me because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes. What does it mean to abide in him? No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him, seen him or known him. 1 John 3.6 What does it mean to abide in Christ? See, we sin because we don't abide in Him. That's what John is saying. The problem we need to understand is what does it mean to abide in Him? John chapter 15, jot it down and read it sometime. But John chapter 15 talks about how we are to abide in Him and He in us. And it's a mutual relationship. God living within us. We living within Him. We abiding in Him or living in Him. What he's saying is very simple, that His Word is what we need to live in. We need to continually be tapped into the Word of God. It was interesting yesterday. My son and I—we had an ivy growing all over this tree, and I usually wait till they're like you know it's already up fifty feet um, before I notice it. And and when the trees start falling over like this, you know, they get my attention. So I thought, well, we'll do this. So this ivy was grown all the way up the tree, and what we decided to do was what? Work at the top of the tree and start cleaning it and going down, right? And then it would be there forever. So I'm not stupid. I hate yard work. So I figured out a better system. Guess what you do? Yeah, cut the root, right? You cut it right where it's coming out of the ground, right at the bottom there. Everything that was grown on there was from one root. And I mean, this root had grown, and thing was huge. And so what we did was we just cut the bottom and then cut maybe a three-foot section of it off so it didn't have a chance to maybe grow back together again and just cut that section off. And my son goes, well, Dad, let's get the rest of it off. I say, we don't have to. Why not? Because we've already killed what's causing it to live. We've, we've taken it, and we've taken the root, and we've killed it at the root. All right? This is the way this works. You want to know why Christians sin? Because we're not tapped in. We're not tapped into the Word of God. We're not tapped into Jesus Christ. What we're trying to do is we're trying to live our lives outside of His resources, which He makes available through His Word. And so we wonder why we sin. Well, I'll tell you why you sin. You get up that day, and you forget that He's Lord of your life. You get up that day and you forget that every decision that you make and everything that comes up has to be filtered through what will God have me do. We get up that day and we think we're going to live it in our own power and our own strength and temptations come into our life and we react and respond to it instead of being able to plan ahead and allowing, like David said, the word I've hidden my heart so I don't sin against you, God. I've got to know your word. And so what he's saying to us is that we sin because we don't abide in him because we try to live like a vine that's not tapped into the ground. And you know what's going to be a wonderful thing? In a week I'm going to watch all these leaves die and just fall off that tree. And it's going to be a reminder to me that I need constant fellowship with God, that I need to be plugged into the Word of God, that I need to be held accountable by other believers, that I need to be constantly praying and asking for wisdom because God knows I lack it in every area of my life and I need His help. That's what we need to be doing. And guess what happens? You don't sin. Do you follow that? You don't sin if you're tapped into the Word of God if you're tapped into jesus christ and you abide in him and he abides in you but you can't go through your life ignoring him and expect not to make mistakes you're dreaming because the enemy is attacking us on a regular basis and we need the word of god to attack back and so he says why do we why do we sin because we don't abide in the word of god it's as simple as that you know it's too many of us we've got answers for everything just trite obvious answers Well, you sin because you want to, so stop doing it. No, that's not it. There are problems that are under the surface that we need to deal with. Why are you sinning? Hey, how much time are you spending in fellowship? How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time are you spending in the Word of God? Uh, What verses are you memorizing? What passage are you looking at? What have you learned today, brother, as far as what the Word's teaching you? Oh, man, I have been in the Word for a week. Yeah, I bet you're not having a lot of fun in your life either, huh? The joy gone? The hope gone? The peace gone? You struggling with stuff? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised, and neither is God, who says we need to abide in Him. got to say, tapped in. We're going to be in all kinds of problems. You know, And it's like, the, you know, it's like the prodigal son. Read Luke 15 sometime. You know, people say, but if he was really a son, he wouldn't have got in the pig pen. You know, our, our, our standard pat answer for every Christian who falls into sin is, well, maybe they're not a Christian. Well, one thing's for sure. Maybe you are the idiot I always thought you were. You know, because that is as dumb as they come. i hear it all the time somebody falls into sexual sin oh maybe they're not a christian oh you know what i mean you take a guy who for 10 years has displayed evidence in his life that he loves the lord he screws up he makes a mistake he falls into sexual sin and all of a sudden you forget about everything else that's going on all the other evidence and say something stupid like maybe the guy's not a christian cut me a break it's like here's a letter this will get you going because this is the kind of letter that people say well maybe this guy's not a christian He says, I've come to you with a very critical problem and I hope that you'll help me for I'm desperate and have nothing left to try or anybody to turn to. I know that I'm a newborn-again born Christian, although many times I've had my doubts, but I know that I've been saved. Brother, I don't know what you're going to think when you find out that I'm a homosexual. Perhaps you'd think that I'm living in false assurance of eternal life, but believe me, this is not the case. I know that I'm saved, but I lost the joy of my salvation and I try to live a Christian life and I have never been so miserable. Maybe he's not a Christian, can't be a homosexual and be a Christian. Isn't know what the Bible says? No, it says you can't practice homosexuality and be a Christian. Can you be a Christian and fall into homosexuality? You better believe it. Can you be a Christian and fall into adultery? Yes, you can. Can you be a Christian and lie, steal, cheat, and, and swear, and do all the other things that God says aren't right? You better believe it. We're surrounded by people that are like that and the world looks at them and says, "Boy, it's too bad that Christians are so hypocritical." And I say, "Amen, it's too bad that we are." But on the other hand, they don't understand what grace and forgiveness is all about because we're not saved because we're not doing all those things. We're saved because of what Jesus did. So the argument then is, oh, we look at this and say, "Well, gee, what do you say to someone like this?" First of all, I say, "Hallelujah. I'm glad you're miserable." That's a good sign. Talked to a gal last week who's living with her boyfriend, man. She wants everyone in the world for this thing to work out, and it's not. And she's trying to walk with the Lord, and she's miserable. She says, it's just driving her crazy. I said, man, that's a great sign. I'm so happy for you. And people look at you like, what? He goes, yeah, that's great. I said, why? You know why? Because if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't be miserable doing it. The whole world's doing it, and no one's miserable about it. The fact that you're a Christian, you know Christ, means that the Spirit of God lives within you. He's convicting the the heck out of you, and uh, he's driving you crazy. Or the sin out of you. How's that? That's better. It's convicting the sin out of you. And I uh, would have said snot, but that's too gross. And, uh, and that's good. That's good. I'm glad you're miserable. It's like, whoa. Why? Because, let me tell you something. If you're a liar and you're a God's child, you're miserable. The prodigal son was living with the pigs and he was miserable. You know why? Because sons don't live with pigs for very long before they start realizing they don't deserve to be there. But a pig is a pig is a pig is a pig, and a pig doesn't have a problem living with pigs because they don't know any better, and that's where they're supposed to be. And so for all of us Christians who are trying to live like pigs, I hope God just makes you as miserable as can be because I hope he does the same to me, and I know he will because the Spirit of God convicts me of sin in my life. So I know he will, and I want you to be miserable, and God wants you to be miserable. Why? Not to make you miserable, but so that you know what? Like the prodigal son, one day you'll come to your senses. Yeah, you smack yourself on the head and said, I should have had a V8. I'm going home. The refrigerator's full of dad's house. That's what you do. Isn't that the truth? And you're going to turn and you're going to walk and you're going to repent from your sin. And that's exactly what he did. So the wonderful thing is if you're struggling with sin in your life, that's good news. Because you've come to know him. And that's what he's trying to say. We sin because we don't abide in him. He also says in verse 7 is that we sin because we don't practice God's kind of righteousness says dear children don't let anyone lead you astray what he's saying is don't be faked out by this one either don't let anyone lead you astray he who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous why because the spirit of god the nature of god that comes to live within us when we ask christ into our life now will produce righteous living what his argument is that don't let anybody who says i'm a good person fake you out you you deal with people like that i do They're just good people. They'd be perfect Christians. Except for they're going to hell. That's the problem. The only problem with them. (laughs) Other than that, they're really neat. But the reality of it is what God's saying is, hey, don't let anybody fool you if you're a moralist who thinks I'm doing the right things. I'm doing all the good things. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. What he's saying is, hey, don't let anyone deceive you. Right living doesn't make you right with God. And that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 5.20, I'll tell you this, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say? Hey, you guys look good on the outside. You got it all together. You're following the law. You're doing all this. You're praying in the streets. You're giving your alms. You're, you're, you're living the, the right life. But you know what? There's only one problem. You're filthy, dirty within. You're a brood of vipers, and you're disgusting, and your hearts are far from God. Other than that, you look pretty good. Is what he said. And so what John is saying is the same thing. Hey, look, you know what? Right living doesn't make us right. Right living doesn't make us right. And that's what we need to understand. Right living doesn't make us right. I like this. This is uh, Chuck Colson, who he's talking about. You know, Paul goes through a real good argument with that in Philippians 3. If there's any reason I should brag about myself, it's because of all these things that I've done in my family and this and that, and I'm living right. And uh, Chuck Colson says this in Life Sentence. This is after a conversation with Richard Nixon, who was by then the ex-president. He says, you know, talking to his wife, he said, man, it's like the old days. For an instant, my heart skipped as the longing returned for the old relationship to advise a president, even a discredited one. Just as a reformed addict continues to crave dope, I felt the need again to be near power as I remembered it in the White House. He says, how easy it is, I realized, to fall back to one's old ways. Then a verse of scripture surfaced. And I was instantly aware that all the glory of the White House was as so much, quote, lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. More and more of these passages were appearing to me at times of of need. You know what bailed him out again? Scripture, the Word of God. He was struggling with power. You know what? God took a verse and said, Hey, I count it all but rubbish for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You follow that? So as you're as you're struggling and you're thinking, man, this sin has got a grip over me. No, it doesn't. Jesus already freed you from what your life was like before. He wants to free you from that just as well. And in fact, not only that, but that sin doesn't have anything to offer you because all of it is considered rubbish for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he goes through it and a couple couple more. I know I got I got last week. People were going, well, he ended early. Well, that's not going to happen today. <laughs> uh, it kills me. Anyway. Number five. We'll just go through real quick on these. You can't get, can't get away from this. We sin because we have the wrong father. This is, this is geared for those who have never put their faith and trust in Christ. And I want you to understand this very clearly. Up until this point, he's been dealing with those who know Christ, who have a relationship with him, can call upon the past to see how God's dealt with them already. And now he's saying, you know why we sin? Because he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason... The Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus in John eight forty four 44 said the same thing. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. All right, here, get this straight, okay? Why do people sin? Because they're sinners. It's natural for a sinful nature to sin. Some of us think because we sin, we're sinners. The Bible teaches the opposite. We sin because we're sinners, and it's natural. So as Christians, let me just encourage you to consider this for a minute. All of us have people in our life who drive us crazy because they live in sin. And we try to tell them, stop living in sin. And we're dealing with the symptom and not the root. So the next time you see someone living in sin, <clears throat> who doesn't know the Lord, then just say, Amen. Because that's what they're supposed to be doing. And instead of dealing with the symptom, let's go to the root and introduce Jesus Christ to them. Because Paul said, O oh, wretched man that I am, who can set me free from this bond of sin and this bond of death? And you know what he said? Thanks be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to the problem of sin in the world. Telling people to stop sinning is so stupid because it's impossible for them to do that. Just as natural for a sinner to sin should it be for a Christian to live a right life before God and before man. If the nature of God indwells you, then you should allow God to live through you and live a righteous life. And it's not a righteous life that makes you right because we already know it's not our righteousness but His None of our all of our righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy rags. There are none righteous. No, not one. None of us here. So we all qualify. We're in the same camp. And that's none of us are righteous before God. Only Jesus Christ and His righteousness makes us right before God. And now He has the opportunity to live that righteousness through you and I. Do you follow that? So stop struggling with sin and allow Jesus to live. Through you, as you abide in him, learn more about him, more about what he desires for your life, and as you, quote, yield to his spirit living within you, you can now live right before God and before man, and you don't have to struggle with sin because Jesus took care of it. We've been bought with a price. He's taken all of our sin, past, present, and future. He's put it on a rocket ship, and he's blasted it off into eternity, and he's destroyed it forever. So we don't have to live in sin anymore. He's saying you're free. Now live like it. Enjoy what God has done in your life. Stop being mastered by sin that destroys the peace and the joy of your life and be plugged into Jesus and he's going to restore the joy and the hope and the peace and all that goes along with it. But if you've never come to know Christ, then you're going to live like hell because you're, that's where you, you're going and that's where your father lives and you're just part of him. It's natural. You're going to live like your dad. If you're of God, you'll live like God and you'll live righteously. But if you're of Satan, you'll live like hell. And that's just natural. And that's why he says in the last verse, guess what? No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Why do people keep sinning? Because they have the wrong father and because they're not born again. And if you're born again, you become a child of God. If you're a child of God, you'll end up living like your father. You won't live like a pig. You'll get sick of being in the mud and all the garbage that goes along with it. And you'll come to your senses and say, Lord, you have freed me from everything else. I just believe you can free me from this. I'm going home and getting washed up, and I'm going to enjoy my life again. Because sin will steal the joy of your life. Okay, let's close. A couple things, okay? Now let's apply all this. Number one, if you're a Christian... Let me just suggest this. If you're sinning, stopping it isn't going to be enough for you. Submit to God's authority. Study the scriptures, know what God has to say, and then surrender your desires to his desires. Okay? Simple as that. We sin because we don't submit to God? Well, then what we need to do is submit. Number two, remember that Christ died for your sins. Past, present, and future. There isn't a sin you should be struggling with that he hasn't taken care of on the cross, and he's removed it from you forever remember where he's brought you from and remember that he's not done with you and he's still doing a good work and he's going to take you beyond that too. So there's hope in the sin that you struggle with. Number three, live daily, abide in Christ. Every day get up and pray this prayer. Lord, Today I want to do what's right before you. I need to stay close to you. Don't let me get far out of your sight. Don't let me try to run away from you. I need you to be there, right there. I need you whispering to me every time I try to. I think of doing something that's not right. S- send some scripture into my mind. Send a passage or a verse to me and just shut me down big time quick before I do something stupid because you already know I'm prone to do that. If you don't know the Lord, you've got to give your life to Christ because the Bible says that if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you have no power to clean up your act. And even if you could do it all on the outside, he says your heart's far from God, that it's with our heart that we believe that results in righteousness. See, we need to accept Christ. Richard Halverson, who was the uh, chaplain to the Senate, writes me a letter every couple of weeks. We've got a real neat relationship going. He writes it to me and probably a couple of million other people on this mailing list that I'm on. But uh, But it sounds like we're close. But uh, he wrote this letter. I want to try to put this all together because, man, this, is, this, this ties it all together. So bear with me for a minute. I know that we're, we're back into that looking at our, wow, well, gee, we two minutes. Oh, man. Oh, just a bit. Bear with me. He writes this. just came out. He said, choice. He said, the unique gift of creator God to the crowning glory of all his creation, human beings, male and female. He said, freedom to choose, freedom to believe God or disbelieve God, to love God or to ignore God, to serve God or to reject God. The sovereign God himself will never interfere in this matter. He instructs, he commands, but he never forecloses on the freedom he guaranteed in his original creation. Choice. But in his infinite wisdom he ordained that choice determines destiny and that choice has consequences. He says, Our first parents exercised this freedom. God had spoken, Satan also spoke, and in so doing directly contradicted the word of God. "'Incredibly, they chose to believe Satan's lie, "'rejected God's word, and disobedience, "'the root problem of all sin "'is rebellion against the word of God. "'And in their self-alienation, their unbelief of God, "'they determined the destiny of all of humanity. And alienation in history derives from their original choice. "'Alienation, war, became the consequence of that choice. "'Whether between husband and wife or parent and child, "'neighbors, management and labor, races or nations, "'no power in human history "'has been able to remove those consequences.'" Government, dictatorship, or democracy has all failed. Education has failed, law has failed, and even the perfect law of God has failed. But God was not without remedy. He sent his son who lived, taught, sacrificed his life on a cross, rose from the dead to provide a way of escape from the awful consequences of wrong choice, which provides another choice each is free to make, to believe God's son or not, to accept him or reject him. In his infinite love, God does not God does everything in his power to induce us to choose his son, but he will not force, nor will he coerce. Each is free to choose or to reject his son. But there are consequences. To choose Jesus Christ is the way of redemption, eternal life and salvation, victory over sin. To reject is the way of judgment, condemnation and eternal damnation. And then he closes with, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Victory over sin is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we just give you thanks for this opportunity just to look at a very practical subject, one that many of us struggle with and have never seen the obvious answer because it's never been so obvious. Lord, help us to to turn to your word for instruction on daily living to not stray too far off your path or to get too far away from you, but just to memorize Scripture, to know it in our hearts so that we won't sin against you. And as we're put in tempting situations, may you bring back to our remembrance through your Holy Spirit those verses and passages that teach us about your ways and what's right. Father, help us to realize that all of choice, the freedom of choice, there's also a price tag, and that is that if we choose wrongly, that there are consequences. You tell us that wrong choice is sin. And there are consequences for sin. Father, help us to see it. Even though Jesus died for us and has freed us from the eternal consequence of sin, help us to understand that there are temporary consequences for poor choices that we make each day. And to realize that we've been bought with the price that we should glorify God with our bodies. Father, I just pray that all of us here who have come to know Jesus would understand the freedom that He offers in His death and His resurrection and the power that He has over death and sin that we would understand that he gives us an opportunity to live a life that is free of sin if we abide in him. Father, we just thank you for that. And we just praise you and look forward to a life that's filled with joy and contentment as we walk along a path that's pleasing to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.